Hello and welcome to the first episode of Get Fact, the podcast that aims to fight fake history in an entertaining and illuminating way. I'm your host, Mike Stutchberry. This week, I'll be talking about Roman symbols, Confederate statues, and introducing a mad bad king just to make you feel better about the current president of the United States. Before I start, I'd like to say thank you to all those who have made this podcast possible through subscribing to my Patreon. If you'd like to help fight fake history, you can too at patreon.com slash Mike Stutchbury. To kick off this episode, I'd like to highlight something that has come up in the aftermath of the tragedy at Charlottesville. As we all know, James Alex Field is accused of driving into a crowd of anti-fascist protesters, killing Heather Heyer and injuring several others. Amongst all the media chin-stroking going on, trying to rationalise the murder, I found myself looking at a picture of Fields with some of his fellow Vanguard America members. The man is standing in a line with his fellow white supremacists, each holding a shield emblazoned with cross fasces. The fasces is the first of the historical symbols I want to talk about over the coming episodes that have been appropriated by political extremists, usually from the right. The fasces is a symbol that comes to us from the days of the Roman Republic. It may have earlier roots, tracing back to the Etruscans, but we can't be definitively sure. Essentially, it's a bunch of long, straight rods tied around an axe with cord. An axe head pokes out at either the top or the bottom. There doesn't seem to be a hard or fast rule. But there are many depictions of them that survive to this day in Roman art. The fasces was a symbol of authority carried by lictors. Think ceremonial bodyguards, accompanying consuls and other officials. When in public... These lictors would stand next to the officials, and the fasces would symbolise their authority. There is the suggestion that the rods symbolise the power to punish, while the axe, the power to execute, but these seem to be a much later interpretation. When it came time for France and the American colonies to become revolutionary republics, the fasces was reborn as a symbol of the republic's authority. Figures such as Robespierre and Danton in France, and Jefferson and Franklin in the fledgling United States, had a heap of admiration and respect for the Roman Republic. Head to many courthouses and civic buildings built in the 18th and 19th centuries across both countries, and you'll still find them used, even in the seal of the US Senate. The Fasces got its white supremacist reputation when Benito Mussolini adopted it in the 1920s to be the symbol of his fascist movement, the Italian word fascio, meaning a workers' union. So not only did it represent authority and power, but it was also a play on words. Well, we all know what happened to Benito Mussolini and his fascist dream, and the Fasces was never reused as a symbol of authority after the end of the Second World War. There were simply too many bad connotations. Today it is the province of the far right and has become widely used amongst fascist circles, especially in Europe. Vanguard America used it as part of their whole blood-and-soil white nationalist spiel. So, should you see one of these Fasces on a t-shirt or a flag, unless it's around a bunch of Roman army reenactors, and, and even then it might be a little bit sketchy, Know that the symbol's been co-opted. It's, it's an ancient symbol of what was a rather multicultural and diverse bunch used to push a racist and fascist agenda. By the way, if you want to read about exactly how multicultural and diverse Rome could be, check out my piece in The New European this week. I'll be linking to it shortly on Twitter. In the wake of Charlottesville... I've had quite a few people ask me on Facebook and Twitter how I feel about the removal of Confederate statues across the United States. Personally, I'm for their removal. Confederate statues lionise those who fought for the cause of slavery, 
I mean, that's the function of any of those statues and any statue of a person, really, isn't it? To honour and offer a sort of hagiography. I hear a lot of jokes about them being a sort of participation trophy and, and other more sensible arguments about them being a touchstone for Southern heritage and pride. However, what we have to remember is that most of these statues were built at a time of heightened racial segregation and the Jim Crow laws. This goes beyond mending bruised egos and acts as a silent tool of oppression to the African-American population. A reminder that race, actually, won over liberty for all. I just can't think of many other cases in which memorials to a losing side in a conflict are constructed with such a triumphant appearance. And if you can think of any concrete examples, let me know, because I'd love to discuss them on the show. I think that's a fascinating issue, and it sort of speaks to something deep in the human psyche. The more I think about these Confederate statues, the more it gets a little bit 1984, as in the George Orwell novel. It's like when they talk about the chocolate ration going up, when really it's come down. If taking these statues down is an act of rewriting history, then putting them up in the first place was even more so. Of course, every nation or region has its own cultural and societal contexts in which it puts up statues and memorials to certain figures. I couldn't possibly go and blanket state that we should go and remove statues of a person just because that figure is problematic. There are so many complex factors to consider. We are talking about Confederate statues, though, and the United States has had about a century, maybe a little bit more, to come to a decision about what happens to them, and the time is nigh for them to come down. I'm sure the further we recede from the 20th century, and all the madness of that time, the more of these conversations we're going to need to have. This is where nuance dialogue, and most importantly, a little bit of knowledge comes into play. Let's just hope we get better at it. I thought I'd end this premiere episode with the first of a regular segment I like to call Mad Kings. A cheery little reminder that things could be a lot worse, and that in the end, evil bastards usually get their just desserts. It might make you feel a little bit better about things over in Washington, D.C., this first episode, we're heading back almost 1400 years to the Middle East. Khosrau II lived in what is today Iran. He was the ruler of the Sasanian Empire, and his reign spanned almost 30 years. Around the turn of the 7th century, he decided to pick a fight with the Byzantine Empire, leading to about three decades of bloody war. In my opinion, Khosrau was a really nasty sort. He was the kind of absolutist ruler who was said to have had a harem of over 3,000 and lived in almost untold opulence. He was surrounded by gold and jewels. He loved his bling. Does that remind you of anybody we know? He's also said to have been a massive sadist, fond of having foreign diplomats murdered, failing generals flayed and salted, and I've heard stories of him actually going and whipping the flayed skin of a general who, who displeased him, and torture carried out on those who managed to offend him in some way. Khosrow's war raged for decades, until the year 628, when as the Byzantines finally drew in after a long and bloody conflict, Khosrow's son Kavad had enough. Marching on his father's palace, he had him arrested and imprisoned, along with all of his jewels and gold. Allegedly, his guards sneered that he had all the things he loved in the world locked in with him. After Khosrow was almost at the brink of starvation, he was taken out, dragged into a courtyard, and slowly shot to death with arrows. I hope that makes you feel better.
So, that was the first episode of Get Fact. I hope you enjoyed it. Over the coming weeks, thanks to you lovely subscribers out there, the show will be expanded with co-presenters, new segments, special guests and other surprises coming up. I'm also really keen for your input, so please email me with any questions or suggestions to mikestutchbury at fastmail.fm. Remember, if you like what you heard, you can always subscribe and support me on my Patreon at patreon.com slash mikestutchbury. Until next time, this is Mike Stutchbury telling you to get fact.